are back and we are talking million dollar careers as uh, as always it's uh, me and uh, my good friend rob houghton rob what's going on today yeah man the I new rules of success in a post-career world yeah love it man love this i'm glad you sent me this article last week I re- i've read it three times but you know, but you know, you know, you know, you're geeking out when you're taking notes on Wall Street Journal articles, right? Like, uh, <laughs> hey, man, you know, it's like the article says. I love what I do, man. Well, you're the epitome of the article, though. You're kind of, you know, you're on like career number, literally, you know, you know, career number, you know, six or seven. When you think about all the stuff you've done in your career, Arthur Anderson, military. You know, Arthur Anderson, um, yeah, you leaving Arthur Anderson, hooking up and going telecom in Africa. You sold that business, doing some work with special operations, you know, training them. You think about that, your business, MR Fairfax, which you're sort of really pivoting from now. And you become a a very busy career coach. And it's it's all stuff that just you know, you nothing you planned for. Exactly. But it just happened. Yeah, you know, I think it is. I think it's. Uh, I don't know if it's uh, God, uh, God's grace, or whatever it is. But, but there's all kinds of signals that are out there, and I think for the people that have their eyes and ears open, and really spend the time to listen to what, like, like really listen to whatever divine providence or nature is telling you, the answers are right there in front of you. You know, yep. it's within you. They really are. Yeah. The interesting thing, though, is there's a a guy I I haven't talked to this fellow in years. His name is I'll just tell you, his name is Jim Booth. Jim was a fellow I met in West Virginia, very, really down to earth, humble, fun, successful guy. And we're talking about his story. He goes, I just I was a tennis pro. I was a country club tennis pro. You were? No, no, no. Jim was. Jim. Jim, This is is Jim's story. He goes, I was a country club tennis pro. And there's no money in being a country club tennis pro. And I wanted to own a business. It's like, I always wanted to own a business. So he went to, he tried to buy some McDonald's franchises. They wouldn't sell him the franchise. So he ended up, but he ended up going to the McDonald's university and he kind of learned out, learned it all. And then one came for sale and it was a turnaround and he turned it around and then he sold it. And then he found another turnaround and he bought it. But he grew it. And then he sold, you know, he didn't sell that. Then he bought another one. By the time when I met him, he owned 12, I think about a dozen, maybe 15 McDonald's franchises in Florida. Wow. Now he's great, you know, great golfer, great tennis, just a solid athlete. At the time he was probably 50. He's probably 70 now, but at the time he was about 50. And he said something really, I mean, it still sticks with me to this day. He was on the board of directors of the Honda Golf Classic in a you know, big golf tournament in Florida. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I sit on this board with a lot of high power CEOs and they all want status. They love status. They all want to go off and run their own businesses or do their own thing and be entrepreneurs because they just don't have the courage to do it. Right, exactly. Yeah. They can't give up the status. They don't have the courage to give up the status. They don't have the courage to pivot. Brilliant people, because they're all smarter, much smarter than me. But they don't have the courage to do it. I'm like, wow. I know the feeling, man. It was like when I started up my Africa telecoms business, 
I literally hired a guy out of the old Comp USA store as as my right hand technician because I knew nothing about wireless equipment. But I had this idea that I wanted to, you know, start the first wireless internet firm in Kenya. I've always liked Africa. And I remember driving to the airport with a couple of boxes of antennas with this guy, thinking to myself, what in the heck are you doing, man? You know? <laughs> but I had this idea. It was like a drumbeat in my head. Africa, telecoms, internet, 1999. It was a great idea. And I was just decisive. And the guy that I hired from CompUSA, he was like 21 years old. He basically took off his apron, went in the back, quit, walked out of the store with me, gave notice at his apartment, packed a couple suitcases, and was on the plane with me within 24 hours. He's a multimillionaire now, obviously. The rest is history. Robert Freeland, the billionaire, bought the business. But yeah, sometimes you, you got to be decisive, man, you know? Well, that's, yeah, but the the thing is, you know, like, hey, look, throwing caution, a little bit of caution into the wind. Yeah, too many people I talk to, big company people, corner office, they need the corner office, they need the title. Yeah, right. First thing that makes me want to run from somebody, are you the same way? When somebody just doesn't understand, they can't understand the role because they the title, they just don't like the title. Right, exactly. You're like, all right, this is a position that's going to pay a boatload of money. It's going to have a boatload of equity. You're going to, you know, there's going to be a transaction and you're going to make a track. You're you're going to walk away just happier than a pig in the mud. And they come back. Ah, I don't want the job. It's, it's not a, it's not a senior vice president title. Okay. I get you. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. Not, not, yeah. Stay in your big company. Doesn't work. I find that the, the people that are like that are lawyers. Every time I'm, I meet a lawyer, he's always got some great idea. I want to own a restaurant or I want to do this. I, I, want to, you know, I want to own a business, but they never do because they're lawyers. I feel sorry. Well, I guess I shouldn't feel sorry for him, but, but I mean, uh, it's kind of sad in a way that people don't recognize what their true calling is, you know? So they live a life of quiet desperation. Well, you know, we had a, we hired a guy once. His name is Chris Nozier. Great guy. <laughs> he was a lawyer. But he, he found religion. He was a burned out district attorney, assistant district attorney in Baltimore. He's I, can't, I, I can't think of I can't think of the worst, a worse job in the world than <laughs> every day getting up and putting on your suit to go to go prosecute crack addicts and prostitutes and whatever else, you know, the the you know, the inner city of Baltimore brings you every day, right? See, Bernie, you know, and they we hired him as a sales guy. Jesus, really? And yeah, he was great. He was phenomenal. Really? He was absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> it was like, it was his, but it was his big awakening. It was his big awakening. He realized that he could make money. So he walked away from Baltimore. And I think it was, this is like 19. No, this is probably about 2004, 2000. Yeah, probably 2004, 2005. So he walks away from this job in Baltimore and he comes to work with us and we threw him in the snake pit. And he makes first year out, he makes, you know, 350, 400,000 bucks. All commission. No, you know, no salary, no benefits, all commission. And, And it was like his big awakening. And he did that for a couple of years. He realized, you know, he still liked law, but it was like his big awakening. 
yeah. And now he actually runs a law practice that wow. go, that that I I'm not sure exactly, but he uh he's, he's he runs a law firm now, and they focus on 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 easements and and you know things of the sort for uh, railroads. Oh. And he does all their negotiations for him. He's incredibly successful. Oh, so uh, uh, he went from law over to make some money and then ultimately back to the practice of the law. Interesting. But he, but I think going back to practice of law put a different, you know, put a different perspective in his in his brain as to how to do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but I think that's kind of the, uh, the gist of this article was that you know, 75% of Americans say in 2023 they're going to look for new work. It really is true. One of the other things of the article I picked up was, you know, success is really uh, purpose-driven, you know. And it talked about how six in 10 people actually describe their big moment, their big successful change as resulting in the same pay or even a little bit less compensation, which really says a lot. So you don't have to make more money to be really happy because six and 10 people have their big pivot or the big awakening, as you say, and make the same or even less money, which was really interesting to me. You know, it's not, well, it's not about the money until it's about the money. Right. And here's kind of the way I always look at my business. I don't worry about the money. I never look at the, I don't worry about the money. I don't look at anything. I just look at doing the right thing by everybody that I'm working with. Yeah. So if I've got a, you know, if I've got an executive I'm trying to place or an executive that just needs help with their career, I help them. I build a relationship. Yeah. I have a client that needs a you know position filled. Yeah. I help them. I work with them. Yeah. And you put their needs first. You, if you do everything you're supposed to do, the money will follow. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The money will follow. If you're worried about the money, you know, if you're worried about the money all the time. Then yeah, you're sort of yeah. stuck in a hole. But I think I think it's the perp. Yeah, people are now they're saying yeah, it's interesting. Fifty percent of people are now re- renegotiating, you know, with their employers or with their careers. It's it's they're they're taking that hard look and starting to pivot. What yeah. do I want to do next? Yeah, I think as a follow on to what you're saying along the lines of purpose driven. I think particularly in your case, I think what you're saying is it's not only purpose driven but it's principles driven. In other words, you have a certain set of principles that you operate under insofar as your clients are concerned. And as long as you consistently, you know, operate based upon those principles, then the money's going to come because mm-hmm. you'll be successful. I think that's exactly what people are starting to look for now. You know, maybe COVID was the catalyst. Maybe, you know, maybe it's just different. You know, maybe they all saw their parents, you know, go to work and live these, you know, very sort of linear lives yeah. where you started, yeah, you started your resume was kind of like a 45 degree angle. Right. And it was all about just climbing the the resume ladder. Yeah. But now you talk about the, uh, I'm, I'm on career number four. No, I mean, you've always operated with principles and standards and you and I always talk about how we're really careful about who we represent too. You know, mm-hmm. we represent the right clients. If I find a client that is exploiting their uh, workers and not operating with principles, then I uh, I terminate that client. You know? mm-hmm. I just talked about it right before we're getting on the air. I've terminated five clients <laughs> in the last 60 days. 
There's something else in the article, too, that kind of struck a chord with me. They talked about how it's all about that one thing. And I was thinking of how the, how the answer, you know, they talk about the difference between a career and a vocation. You know, a vocation being something that that's sort of a calling, right? So mm-hmm. how do you how do you actually recognize that? Because it's within you. And I, I remember a movie that was probably 20 years ago. It, it was a movie about a cattle drive. And there was a comedian in that movie. And uh, the older ranch hand, he was a really gruff guy, was was having a uh, a conversation with this comedian on the cattle drive. And they're riding their two horses through the desert. The younger guy senses that the older guy is like really happy. He's been a cattle guy for his whole life. Mm-hmm. Which is a tough life, and he says, "Like, what's the secret, man? What's the secret to life?" You know. And the older guy turns around to him, and he just, he said, he puts up one finger. One finger, and the guy says, "What's that?" And the older guy says, "It's the one thing, man." And the the younger guy looks over, and he's totally confused. He says, "What do you mean, like the one thing?" The older guy looks at him again and says, "It's the one thing, man." You find that one thing, mm-hmm. and that's it. And the younger guy had like an epiphany on his horse. And the rest of the movie was about him going through this journey, you know, self-discovery, figuring out like what that one thing was. And the one thing turned out to be his family. You know, that was the most important thing because he was getting ready to get divorced and everything. So I always think about that. What is like the one thing, the one thing that really drives somebody? It's there. It's deep within inside everybody, and a lot of people don't even understand what that one thing. And and I think you have to go back to like, what were your childhood dreams? You know, what are your personal values? What do you, what do you, what do you really value? You know, I think back when I was a kid, I used to love to play with these GI Joes, like these army figures. You know? Yeah, I remember that. And I used to set up these soldiers all over the place and set up ambushes. Of course, I was like, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years old. I had no idea what I was doing. But really, that was the one thing with me. I always wanted to be a military guy, you know, Mm -hmm. the good versus the bad, good versus evil. And that turned out to be what my one thing was. And I didn't even know it until later in life, you know. Yeah, no, look, I mean, you know, I think, yeah, what I found in the, you know, my my little journey here, yeah, I'm fiercely independent. My eight years in the military, yeah, you know, I, I didn't want to march to the right. I didn't want to march to that drummer anymore. I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm out. I'm disruptive. I'm independent. Yeah, I'm disruptive. And everybody used to laugh because I was disruptive. Irreverent. Yeah. Irreverent. Then, yeah, I got stuck in some cubicle in Georgia and that sucked beyond all belief. Jeez. Yeah, but you know, but that's what I think that's what happens is that you know, people are willing, they they allow themselves to get stuck in a cubicle. Yeah. And then they get all the life sucked out of them. And then they don't know how to pivot between family and job and money and the fact that they just can't, you just you know, you get stuck in that place and you don't know what to do. And then one day you wake up and maybe you get fired. Maybe you get, just getting fired is the best thing that ever happened to you, or you get yeah. laid off. The Georgia companies laid off 700 people, and it's amazing to me how many of them I see on LinkedIn going, <laughs> getting laid off was the best thing that ever happened to me. 
Exactly. <laughs> I was forced to find what I really wanted to do, or they all just got picked up by somebody else and they got better jobs and life is really good. But I can't imagine working for that company, you know, just being a sale. Yeah. Like, oh, I talked to my wife about it. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine. Here's the other sad thing, too. So you take that kind of a person, right? Underutilized, unhappy, underappreciated, never gets recognized. Yep. There's no enablement. They're just miserable in their cubicle, right? And they're making, you know, $100,000 a year. And then somebody else comes along like you or me or a company and they yep. recruit them, and they have exactly what they're looking for. Freedom to act independently, enablement, recognition, professional growth, all kinds of stuff. And they get the job offer and the offers for, you know, 120. Right. Now they go in and they resign. And all of a sudden, the boss is like, oh, my gosh. We're really sorry. We underappreciated you, you know, your whole career. You've got to stick around. You've got to stay. Please, please, please. You're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And these people, because they're cubicle-based employees, you know, they don't think like owners, right? Yeah. What happens? A lot of them take the bait. And yep. I'll give you 125. You show me that offer, I'll match it. And they'll and they'll get suckered into doing it. Yep. And and that's the worst thing that I see people doing, and it happens so much. It's mind-boggling how people can be so easily duped. But I guess if you're working in a cubicle your whole career, well, yeah, it's you probably just, have half a brain anyways. But yeah, so, it's really so, sad, you know. So I'll give you a great. Here's a here's a here's a story. I, I it still boggles my mind. <laughs> this is still I still it still just boggles my mind. Working with a an executive, C-suite person, wanted a bigger C-suite job, got it for. Him. Then he starts getting squirrely on me, ducking my calls, not taking them. <laughs> I'm like, what's going on here? He's got the offer. It's a great offer. It's going to be significantly more pay than what he's making. It takes him in a better spot, gives him more flexibility. He texted me at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This is a C-suite person. He texted me at 3 o'clock in the afternoon the day before Thanksgiving, day before Thanksgiving. Jeez. And says, I'm not going to show, I want to delay my start date. My current employer gave me a counter offer, which I want to evaluate. How would you handle that? Yeah, I'll, I would say, take a hike, man. Yeah. I called up the, I called up the, the client. Oh, hire him, yeah. He's not 100% called, bought in. Yeah. I just called the client. No, it's not, it's worse. He's not C-suite. If you do that stuff, if yeah, you yeah. do that, you're not C-suite. Exactly. You may think you're C-suite material. You may think you're GM material. You may think you're leader material. You're not. Yeah, you're yeah. just looking for somebody to go, we love you. But yeah, at the yeah. end of the day, I just called up the client. I called up the client and just said, you know, pull the offer. No negotiation, no conversation. If you, you know, pull the offer. Yeah, because what happens with people like that is even if you cajole them or you give them more money or, or you counter a counter, Three months, six months, a year down the road, it's going to turn into a disaster anyways, because the person lacks character. And then you and then, you know, a hiring mistake is a catastrophic error. It's hard to recover. So you did the right thing, man. You're right to call them up and just say, pull you off. Well, well, here's what I found out a couple of months later. There was no counteroffer. <laughs> <Really? laughs> 
He just wanted love. He just wanted somebody to say, oh, but he needed the status. Really? So you mean he, needed, he went through the whole process, not really. He needed, he needed, he change. needed the stat. He, he needed the status. He signed, you know, signed offers like, look, uh, yeah. He needed the status of somebody saying, I love you. He's got no clue where he wants to go in life. He's got no direction. He's Thank now you. in a really, he, he ended up leaving his company and he's now in a really crappy job, which is the road to nowhereville. Some so people was, just make bad decisions. It know? just makes, but that's, it, it's the crazy thing, but you know, yeah, he needed the status. He needed the love. He just needed, you know, for some sick, weird reason, you know, he just wanted somebody to say, I, we really love you. We think you're great. Well, if if you want people to say, we, we love you and we think you're great, then be lovable and great. Don't it, be an idiot. Don't exactly. be an idiot. Don't be right? lovable and an idiot. Yeah. Don't be, don't be an unlovable idiot. And this yeah, is, yeah. so this comes down to the thing I just wrote on a piece of paper here. Mentoring, you know, uh, you know, I mentor a couple of college kids. They're really smart and they're really looking for the direction. And the conversation we have is don't look for a job. Look for a place where you can be of value. Exactly. You find a place, you dig in, you become so valuable to them that they'll never want you. They'll never let you leave. If you're a value, if you if you just get in, you dig in, you become a value. The world is your oyster. Yeah. If you're just showing up to work, not being a value, you're you're just overhead, and you'll never find it. Yeah, the direction yeah. is hard to find. It's exactly right. You know, the other thing the article talks about is sometimes you have to you have to look at you know this whole thing about work life and everything. You have to look at it like seasons. You may be in a position in a role in a company that you're not exactly excited about, but you've got a family and you've got responsibilities. So the question I get a lot of times from people that I coach is, so what do I do now? I mean, I, you know, I just can't leave my job. I'm doing the, the job of an insurance account manager, but I really want to, you know, be a, uh, a health and wellness coach or something, you know, mm -hmm. and that's where my heart is. You know, everything you've told me, Rob, you know, I've gone on this journey of self realization. And I figured out, okay, I don't want to be an insurance account manager anymore. I want to be a health and wellness coach, but I'm a single mom. I've got kids, blah, blah, blah. So another strategy too, that people can use is it doesn't have to be a black and white decision. You don't have to like cut immediate ties. You can get what's called a side hustle. So you can continue doing your current job, but as you discover this inner voice and you want to do something else, Mm -hmm. Oh, a vocation or what your true meaning is. You can start off by doing a side hustle, by doing something mm -hmm. part-time mm -hmm. and then just sort of ease into it. And then yep. you may find out that, well, the grass isn't always greener on the other side, or maybe I'm not really as good at this as I thought I was. Yeah. Or this is a lot more difficult than I ever imagined. And maybe it was the wrong voice. It was a, it was a voice that's similar, but not the true meaning. So it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I look at mm -hmm. these things as like, you know, like uh, seasons, you know, like there's a season for work. There's a season for retirement. There's a season for family. There's a season for raising kids. There's all different seasons too. So it doesn't have to be a black and white. Well, it's like anything Change is a process. It's not an event. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Going, yeah. The who, the, who am I? What, what do I want to do? The why, why do I want to do that? That's a process. It's, you know, and, and this is what I tell folks to do. It's like, look, if you want to make a career change, you, 
you know, most people have earned the right to, you know, I, you know, I talked to, uh, I talked to a VP of sales not too long ago, wants to make a little bit of a pivot, very successful VP of sales. I said, look, you've earned the right in your career to call the CEOs of your competitors and say, I'm thinking about making a pivot or not even your competitors, but people who might be interested in you. You've got a great background, great resume, great success. You've earned the right to say, hey, I'm just going to shoot this person an email or I'm going to call them up and figure out a way to get 15, 20 minutes on their calendar. And the question is not necessarily, hey, I want to come work for you. It's asked the question, how can I be a value to you? How can I help you? These are my skills. What do I need to do to make, I want to make this change. Who do uh, I talk? Who do, what do I do? You know, a lot of people are like, hey, some, you know, most often you're going to hear some people say, hey, why don't you just come on over and talk to us? You know, maybe maybe we could scratch your itch. Or go talk to this person over here. It's just about, you know, it's about reaching out and it's about being you know, proactively reaching out and saying, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll be, I'll be a little courageous today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna reach out to some people yep. and just and just put start to put some feelers out. I remember when I was with uh Arthur Anderson back in the early 80s, actually, and I decided that I was gonna try real estate development. I knew I wasn't an accountant. Mm -hmm. And back in the old days, you used to have to, to, to just go to a phone book, right? And went, I went to the yellow pages, looked up real estate development. This was when I was down in Houston, called up like five or six people. And uh, it, I remember it was like 530 at night. And this one guy, he, he, he was a Lebanese American. His name was Fred Risk, R-I-T-Z. And he, he ran a fairly large construction company called Risk Development. Down in Houston, they built like shopping malls, shopping centers, hotels, all kinds of stuff. I actually called the office at like 5.30 back in the days when people actually answered the phone, right? He picked up the phone and says, oh, it's Fred Risk. And immediately, <laughs> a chill went down my spine. I'm like, now what do I do? I said, yeah. Mr. Risk, my name is Rob Houghton, and I work for Arthur Anderson, and I'm thinking about a career in real estate development. Man, I really like to buy your lunch or pick your brain. It just sort of came out, you yeah. know? He's like, and he was the nicest guy. I said, really? He says, you're just calling me up. He says, how did you get my number? I said, I got you out of the yellow pages, man. He says, I know your reputation. And he goes, come on over. I said, really? He says, come on over to my place. And of course, I lived in Houston. He lived in Houston. He invited me over to his house, which was a which was a palatial mansion. You know, you, right. You can imagine, right? This guy's one of the biggest construction guys in Houston. Had dinner with the guy, had a couple of drinks. He said, come into my office tomorrow. Uh, you know, I don't know what we have available, but I got you an appointment with our HR. Yep. So I, I went over there the next day and had a great meeting. Mm -hmm. I never saw Fred again. And it turns out there were no openings. So it was a, I don't want to call it a fool's errand, but it was pretty cool, actually, the yeah. way I just called this guy up and got an appointment the next day. But it gave you the confidence to go do it again. The confidence gave you the confidence yeah. to go do it again. Yeah, I got a, literally. I got a job. I was I was you know, driving through Dallas. I called up a guy and said, "Hey, I'm in town. Why don't I just uh, buy you lunch?" He said, "Why don't you come up to my office? I can't go. I can't. I can't go out to lunch. I'm too busy. Why don't you come to my office and have a conversation?" Had a conversation. He introduced me to a couple of people. And they're like, "Hey, are you are you ready to make a change?" I'm like, "Yeah, I am." As a matter of fact, they said, "All right." How about California? I said California's fine. <laughs> how did within 24 hours I had a job offer on the table? Uh I got engaged to Lisa. 
Is we that- packed our trash within within 45 days. We packed our trash and moved to within 90 days. New job, got married, packed our trash, sold two houses, packed our trash, and moved to California. Had kids, really, all because of a phone call. But I think that's kind of like you know the you know what I loved about this article, and I hope people will go and uh, you know they'll go look it up. And what they find is, hey, look, you know the the answer to you know a lot of people, you know, you know, yes, people are looking for new jobs. People are renegotiating their their lives with their employers. But the question is, is you know, start thinking about, you know, it's not a linear process. It's not your resume. It's it's figuring out who you are and what you're really looking for. Yeah. And and not being afraid to go get it. Yeah. And think about as you're running or jogging or on the treadmill, whatever, just think about like the one thing. What is the one thing? You know, the one if thing. You, if you can figure out like what the one thing is, man, you're like 99% there. After that, it's just execution. And maybe as we also discussed, Another tactical thing you could do is if if you identify what, what that one thing is, doesn't necessarily mean you got to quit your job. Mm-hmm. It might mean you get a side hustle. It's a process, man. That it's a process. A great, that's great advice. It's a process, not an event. And it's all good. Rob, how do people you're coaching a lot? How do people get a get a hold of you these days? Man, I tell you, I'm on the run, man. I'm all over the internet. Uh they can go to my website, www.mrfairfax.com. I'm on LinkedIn and, and my email. The e- easiest way to get a hold of me is just rob at mrfairfax.com. I love your blogs. You're all yeah. over the internet. I love your blogs on the internet. They're great. They hit the point. Yeah, man. Um, they're good stuff. So cool. Good, man. Awesome, dude. Well, let's uh, let's save it up for the next one. Yeah, man. Keep reading the Wall Street Journal, everyone out there. Okay? <laughs> Take notes. The paper edition. Awesome. <laughs> Happy right. Friday. Peace, brother. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig and NorthstarESG.com, or check us out at www.NorthstarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube. Just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pickett.